Uh, I don't know about you, but I am not storing piles of wood chips the size of a six-story building in my garden. So I think we are all safe there. Hey, I'm Karen, and together with my husband, I spent over a decade researching and learning and building our small farm through lots of trial and error, successes and failures. I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture to help our farm business, and now I want to pass all that knowledge on to you. Because I firmly believe that self-reliance is empowering, and that everyone, whether you've got a five-acre plot in the country, a half-acre lot in suburbia, or a windowless room in a downtown apartment, should just grow something. Hello, my gardening friends, and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. This week on Garden Talk Tuesday, we're going to talk about some common gardening myths. But first, I want to uh, give a hearty welcome to our newest listeners in Ireland. I would love to say hello in Irish Gaelic, especially since I have family there, but I would butcher it completely and totally. So I will simply say welcome and sláinte. Ireland, you round us out to 10 countries listening to include the U.S., and I find that totally exciting. So let's talk about gardening myths. Most of these myths um, are specific to vegetable gardening, but some of them pertain to gardening in general. And in some cases, we know how these myths got started, but in others, there's really just no telling. In reality, most gardening myths go back to a concept I talked about briefly way back in episode seven, the why gardening is good for your health episode, when I talked about causation versus correlation. So causation means that one thing is the result of the occurrence of another thing. Correlation means that there may be some relationship between two things, but that doesn't automatically mean that a change in one is the definite cause of the change in another. So I will give you an example. Marigolds and basil in the tomato garden. There is actually very little conclusive scientific evidence that marigolds prevent pests in general in the garden. It is known that the scent of marigolds can confuse some pests, but you need to have a high concentration of the flowers to get to this effect. Um, The same goes for basil. It's touted as repelling insect pests that plague tomato plants, but the only evidence of any beneficial effects of planting basil with tomatoes is that they just share soil nutrients and space really well. There is no proven evidence of causation when planting basil and marigolds with tomatoes to show that it prevents pests and gives a better yield. However, When I've planted them together, I've always seen anecdotally a better yield. So I continue to do so. And I realize that it's simply correlation. I associate the increased yield with the interplanting of the marigolds and the basil, even though there is no scientific actual proof of causation. And that is how most garden myths get started. Someone has an idea to try something, they do it, and they see a good result, and so they continue to do it. Then they tell their gardening friends, and they tell their friends, and then suddenly everybody simply knows that this thing is the best way to do something in the garden. Many times it's harmless, 
if not just a waste of time and money. But sometimes it can actually be detrimental to your garden or to your health. So let's dig into 10 common garden myths that you may have heard and explore whether they are true or false, or maybe it depends. So gardening myth number one, watering your plants in full sun and getting water on the leaves will burn the leaves. This is false. If the diffused rays of the sun were strong enough to cause a burn by focusing through the water droplets, there would be a whole lot of farmers here in the Midwest that would be losing crops left and right when we have midday storms in the middle of summer and the sun comes right out afterwards. In fact, when growing lettuce in warmer weather, you can actually perk it up midday by spritzing water on it to help cool the foliage and rehydrating it. But so what those water droplets on plant leaves can do, though, is increase the possibility of disease. So we've talked about it before. Foliar diseases are easily spread in moist conditions. And any watering that you do midday is more likely to evaporate before the plants really get to take advantage of it. Plus, cold water on hot leaves can cause damage to the leaf tissue, but it's not going to be through magnification, and it certainly is not a burn. So just keep in mind, watering at the soil surface in the early morning or the late evening is generally the best time, and again, at the soil surface. But if you have to water from overhead and you have to do it during full sun, you're not going to burn your plant leaves. Keep in mind, this applies though to water only. The same cannot be said for any other thing that you would be putting out there in the garden in the sun, like fertilizers or pesticides or herbicides. Those absolutely can damage the leaf surface if you're doing it in the full sun. So garden myth number two you should add sand to your soil if you have heavy clay. Please don't do this. This is false. <laughs> Unless you are a professional and you know exactly which ratio of clay you're working with and how much sand to add to get the composition that you're looking for, um, hint, hint, it's a lot, you will likely just turn your soil into a concrete block. That's great for construction, not so good for gardening. For amending clay soil, you want to turn to compost, perlite, vermiculite, any of those things to aerate and to loosen the soil. Organic matter is always the best soil texture amendment, so stay away from the sand. Gardening myth number three, talking to your plants helps them grow. Actually, this one is true, but not in the way you may think. I always thought that this was true because we exhale carbon dioxide and that's what plants need in order to produce energy. But it turns out the amount of talking we would have to do to our plants to get that effect would likely make a gardener go hoarse and still not give the plants enough carbon dioxide. What talking to plants does do though is create vibrations and plants react to environmental stressors like wind and vibrations by growing stronger. That's why when you start seedlings indoors, it's a good idea to have a fan on them for parts of the day. It strengthens the cuticle and makes the plant stronger and better able to withstand winds and rain and other environmental stresses when you move them outdoors. 
So talk or sing to your plants all you want and tell anyone who thinks you're crazy that it's in the name of a better harvest because science said so. So gardening myth number four, let's go back to those marigolds. The myth is that you plant marigolds to deter insect pests. And as I alluded to in the intro, this one is a maybe. Marigolds do indeed deter some of the bugs that we don't like in the garden, like cabbage worms specifically, and they can attract beneficial insects that feed on aphids and other unwanted pests. They also do deter specific types of nematodes in the soil. But you need to plant a large amount of marigolds for this to work. And when I say large, I mean dozens in a relatively small area, hundreds if you want to line your entire garden to deter these pests with just the marigolds. The problem with this is they can also compete for nutrients at this volume of planting. So like I said, I always plant marigolds and basil together in my tomatoes, and I grew hundreds of marigolds this year with the intent of using them in my brassicas to prevent those cabbage worms. But they never made it into the brassica beds because of the weather. And the row covers I used took care of the cabbage moths for me, so the marigolds weren't even necessary. So the bottom line is, if you like marigolds, plant them, but don't rely on them for pest control. And then in gardening myth number five, we move on to the basil question. The idea is that you should plant basil with tomatoes to repel insects. I do it, many of my clients do it, but I can honestly say this one is a maybe. The general consensus is that basil, both the plants and the extracts made from the leaves, can be an effective natural deterrent for a number of tomato pests, specifically whitefly, mosquitoes, tomato hornworms, and aphids. But if you go looking for scientific evidence on this idea, you are not likely going to find much of anything at all. Most of the evidence is anecdotal. Remember correlation. <laughs> and some gardeners have actually found that planting basil near their tomatoes not only makes no difference, but it might actually even attract the insects that it's supposed to repel. So I say this one is a maybe. There is anecdotal evidence, but if you're going by scientific evidence, uh, the answer is, well, no, it's actually a myth. Moving on to gardening myth number six, you should bury banana peels for potassium and eggshells for calcium for your plants in the garden. This is another case of yes and no. Yes, banana peels do have a good amount of potassium, but if you're burying the peels directly into your garden, the microbes in the soil have to break them down first before that potassium becomes available for the plant to take up. And this often involves the use of a lot of nitrogen in the process, which takes that nitrogen away from the plant that you're trying to help. And this process can take quite some time. It's likely going to not be decomposed enough in time for the plant to actually be able to use it that season. This same thing goes for eggshells. Yes, they contain calcium, 
But first of all, most soils actually aren't low in calcium. Blossom end rot that is caused by a lack of calcium uptake in the plant is usually caused by irregular water availability or other extreme weather conditions, not a lack of the mineral in the soil. And eggshells need to break down first before the plant can use the calcium. So in reality, while both of these things can be beneficial, the best place for them is either in the compost pile for use later on or directly in the garden beds, but in the off season so that they can break down prior to the beginning of the next planting period. Gardening myth number seven, organic pesticides are safer than synthetics and can't harm your plants. False, false, false. Now, I'm going to put it out there that I am an organic gardener. I have reasons for not wanting to add synthetics to my garden, my soil, or my water table, so I choose organic and natural methods. Does this mean that I can use any amount of these organic methods and they won't be harmful? Absolutely not. If misused, these methods can be just as hazardous to people and pets and the beneficial inhabitants of our gardens like the frogs and the bees and the beneficial pollinators. For example, pyrethrin is an insecticide that is extracted from chrysanthemum flowers, completely natural. But misused, it can absolutely be detrimental in the garden. I mean, arsenic is natural, but it's no less lethal right? Even things like BT and insecticidal soap can be overused and cause havoc in the garden in any number of ways. So no matter what type of pesticide you choose or herbicide that you choose, always follow the manufacturer's guidelines and use caution. And let's pause for a second here and also talk about those supposedly all natural remedies that you see online. There's some that always make the rounds this time of year when everybody is battling weeds. There's the one that talks about the industrial strength vinegar that you boil and you mix in Dawn dish soap and like a cup of salt or some crazy amount. And, uh, and then you spray this on your weeds and it supposedly kills all kinds of things from dandelions to poison ivy or whatever. Again, this is all purely anecdotal. There are some people who swear by it. And uh, I can tell you that more than likely it's actually not killing the plant, it's killing the foliage. Uh, but that root is going to still probably remain there in the soil, and it just means that weed eventually is going to come back. The other thing that you have to be careful about is adding a high level of salt into your garden areas. Salt can build up in the soil and be way more detrimental to your soil health than a few weeds. So try to stay away from these anecdotal homemade versions of things and just pull the weeds the old-fashioned way. Use the mulch to keep the weeds down. Unless you have tried it in a small area and you've seen fantastic results from it, don't mix these things up and then go spraying your entire garden with it before you have tested it because I have no problem with things that work anecdotally, obviously, as you know, evidenced by my use of marigolds and basil, 
But like I said in the intro, using some of these things can actually be detrimental to your garden. And you don't want to be destroying all of your hard work because you took somebody's advice on the internet about how to combat the weeds. So keep that in mind when you're talking about organics and all natural remedies versus the synthetics. Garden myth number eight, coffee grounds make your soil more acidic. This one is false, unless you're talking about unused coffee grounds. And as a coffee lover, if I hear you're taking perfectly good unused coffee grounds and putting them around your blueberries, we're going to need to have a serious talk. Used coffee grounds have had many of the highly acidic qualities leached out of them when the coffee is brewed. So you would need to use a very, very large amount of grounds to change the pH of the soil around your plants. And then just like with the banana peels and the eggshells, breaking down those grounds is going to tie up nutrients, specifically nitrogen, that your plants need which is actually the real detrimental effect of too many coffee grounds directly in the soil. It can stunt plant growth in the short term. There's actually good evidence that amending soil directly with coffee grounds can negatively affect your plants. So if you're trying to acidify the soil for those acid-loving plants like blueberries or maybe change the, uh, the color in your hydrangeas, the coffee grounds are actually not a good way to go. The best option is to compost coffee grounds first. In this instance, they decompose in a couple of months and they become harmless to your plants and then it can then be used anywhere in the garden. It's not going to cause your compost to acidify and composted coffee grounds have been shown to be very beneficial to plants, specifically after about 12 months in which they've been shown to actually help increase crop yields. So not a good idea, once again, to put them into directly into your garden soil. Garden myth number nine, put rocks or gravel at the bottom of your pots to help with drainage. No, 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 this is false. I talked about this extensively when I answered a question in the last Can You Dig It episode, episode 29. And I gave a lot of scientific info about this in that episode and even more for patrons over on the Patreon page. So I won't go too deeply into it here. Just know that it's not true if you have drainage holes in your pot. In fact, you'll be doing more harm than good by putting rocks or broken pots or anything else in the bottom of your pot because water does not move easily from layers of finer textured materials like potting soil to layers of more coarsely textured materials like gravel or rocks. So let the drain holes do their job and leave the rocks and the shards of broken clay pots for some other crafty project. And then gardening myth number 10. This final myth is actually a multitude of myths and they all revolve around wood chips. They range from the statement that wood chips rob nitrogen from the soil, that they attract termites, to the fact that they can heat up as they decompose and ignite spontaneously. The answers to these are it depends, no, and oh, for goodness sake, can we please be serious? So let's start with the first one. 
Um, wood chips rob nitrogen from the soil. So wood has a very high carbon to nitrogen ratio. So yes, in order for it to decompose, it needs nitrogen. In the early stages of this decomposition, this work is done mostly by fungi. And fungi have hyphae. They penetrate into the soil and they pull up nitrogen that aids in the decomposition process. And this nitrogen is taken from the top couple of inches of the soil. So in the vegetable garden, this is actually a good thing. The removal of the nitrogen in this top layer can actually keep weed seedlings from growing. But the hyphae of the fungi don't reach down into the root zone of your garden plants, which is further down in the four to six inch range. Now, this does mean that you don't want to sprout seeds directly in wood mulch because the same effect that it's having on the weed seeds would be the same thing it would do to your garden seeds. You also don't want to turn wood chips under into your garden bed during the growing season because that's going to put them down near the root zone where they will take the nitrogen. So only use them on the top. But used as a mulch or in pathways, they are not going to rob the nitrogen from the soil. Now, for myth number two, when it comes to attracting termites, let's think about how termites live. Their colonies are underground and they like dark, moist places. They also send scouts out looking for food and they discover their food sources through exploration. They don't smell the wood chips and migrate to them. The conditions under the mulch might be perfect for them, but if you see them, it means that they were likely already there. They were just further down into the soil. That being said, you should keep wood chips at least six inches away from house foundations so that it doesn't encourage them to come up to the surface and discover your house is a really good meal. <laughs> Using them in the garden is not going to encourage them to take up residence. And wood chips that you get from landscape services that may have removed them from areas that had termites are also unlikely to harbor them once they make it to you. The wood chipping process will have killed the majority of them, and then the remainder are unlikely to survive without the rest of their colony. So using wood chips in the garden is not going to attract termites. Um, they likely were already there to begin with. And then finally, let's talk about spontaneous combustion. Yes, piles of wood chips can ignite when they begin to decompose and give off the heat from that process. And yes, if the heat doesn't escape, it can ignite a pile of wood chips. But the guideline for wood chips and mulch is for the piles to be smaller than. 60 feet in height and 300 feet in width in order to prevent spontaneous combustion. Uh, I don't know about you, but I am not storing piles of wood chips the size of a six-story building in my garden. So I think we are all safe there. So in short, wood chips can be a great thing to use in the garden for weed prevention and walkways, so long as you're comfortable pulling the wood chips back to transplant your seedlings each year. 
You don't start seeds directly in the wood chips. You don't push them right up against your house and you don't pile them 60 feet high in your garden. That's it for this Garden Talk Tuesday edition of the Just Grow Something podcast. Be forewarned, Friday's episode may contain a bit of me jumping up and down on my soapbox. This episode covered garden myths, but Friday I'll be talking a bit about farming myths. More specifically, the crazy notions that fly around on the internet about things people say are happening on farms across North America that just aren't true. Uh, this episode, or that episode, um, was prompted by some feedback my friend Caitlin over at Wild Rose Farmer and the Rural Woman Podcast experienced after sharing a really cool video of part of her farming operation. I'll leave it at that, but it's an episode that you won't want to miss. In the meantime, don't forget to check out the Patreon page at the link in the show notes for more content that is not included here, and I'm adding more each week. And there are also links to the science behind a lot of the myths we busted today also in the show notes. Have a great week, my gardening friends, and I will join you back here on Friday. You've just listened to another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. Don't forget to download the episode after you've listened, rate and review us in your podcast player if that's an option, and follow us on Instagram at Just Grow Something Podcast. All these things help gardeners like you find me and hopefully join the Just Grow Something family. Don't forget to send in those gardening questions through a voice message at the link in the show notes or via email to grow at justgrowsomethingpodcast.com. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep on cultivating that dream garden and I will talk to you again soon.